every American citizen must have an equal right to vote. The administration of elections is primarily a state and local responsibility. Whether you voted for the very first time or waited in line for a very long time, by the way, we have to fix that. Welcome to High Turnout, Wide Margins. This is Brianna Lennon. I'm the county clerk in Boone County, and with me is my co-host. Eric Fay, Director of Elections in St. Louis County, Missouri. And we are very excited today to talk about Center for Civic Design, the importance of good design in democracy and in ways that we can incorporate better tools into our elections administration. And we are going to start out with our our first question, which is always, Whitney, how did you end up in elections administration in the first place? I wouldn't say that I'm actually in election administration, really. I work with elections administrators, but we don't actually do elections. And I think that's a big distinction that everybody who works in the election space ought to keep in mind. But uh, I got involved after 2000. You know, everybody looked up and I was working as a user experience designer doing websites and things like that. And my parents called and said, is this what you do? Make things easier to use? Is this, this what you've been trying to tell us you do all along? And I'm like, yeah, actually, it kind of is. I ended up being appointed to the EAC's Election Voting System Guidelines, Technical Guidelines Development Committee, TTTC. Thought I would do my nine months, we'd write some nice standards, and I'd be done with elections. And here I am, 17, 18 years later, still kind of enamored of this whole idea of how we run the nuts and bolts of democracy. What has kept you in the space? Was it just like the technical guidelines were so interesting you wanted to see them implemented? Or did you just find more challenges and said, you know, I still have work to do clearly in this space? Yeah, I think it was all of that. I mean, I think, first of all, you dive into a new space and you always think that you're so brilliant and you have all the answers and that it's going to be simple to solve. And then you discover that it's not so easy and that it's much, there's a lot of really interesting aspects to it. You know, we got version one done. We just immediately started working on version, what became version 1.1 of the voluntary voting system guidelines. People started asking us about ballot design and I was still working. We're still being, being UXers, just having a normal life and doing this on the side. And a group started in California called the Future of California Elections. There, they were a consortium of state election officials, county election officials, good government people, community groups. And their, their mission was to sort of look at what you know, what elections could look like in the future in California. And out of that came the Voters' Choice Act. And they were looking for some people to help on the voter outreach thing. And they, uh, we specifically put in a proposal to look at the California voter guides. Now, California requires that every county send out voter guides and the state sends out voter guides. That is a lot of paper. And we used to joke that the, the real title of our grant was, is it worth all the work it took to get this there? Are these, you know, is this worth the paper and ink? Because if, if we're sending things to people and it doesn't actually help them vote better, then we're, we're putting a lot of resources and energy into it. And that was the beginning of having the Center for Civic Design because they said, so what's you and Dana's organization name? And we said, it's the, the Center for Civic Design. And they said, you're a 501c3, right? And we said, oh yeah, yeah, we can do that. And we did. So we sort of went from doing this as something that we were just interested in and then we thought, well, we just do this project and we'd be done. And then um, this came back to us and we did some research on things that were going to come up in the next version of the voting system guidelines, more about accessibility of voting systems and e-poll books and looking at where advances in design were going. And the next thing we were 
well, here we are today and we're a 10 person organization. I guess the question that is gnawing at me, you've been in this, uh, in this thing uh, since, you know, 2000 and, we, you know, everybody listening, I'm sure remembers the infamous butterfly ballots from, from that election. You know, there are, since then, there have been a few high profile instances of lack of a better term, bad ballot design, you know, that become very controversial, but just writ large, how do you feel like things have progressed? Do you feel like the situation is better now than it was then? Is there any way to quantify it? I think the situation is definitely better now than it was then. And I think we can quantify it a little bit by how many ballots are spoiled by someone overvoting. It's never been a large, large number. It's always been more than it should be. And yes, every few years we do have one big event that make, you know, that galvanizes all of our attention on what can happen. But one of the things that I think that shows us that it's getting a little better is that it always takes more than one problem at once, right? So you have to have a close election and you have to have a problem that affects a small number of ballots so it maybe didn't get caught in general ballot testing. And it has to be something that's not absolutely obvious. Uh, and that we really have come a long way every Every two years, report, some reporter in, in Florida calls me up and says, so how are our ballots this year? And one thing is that sample ballots are now available. I mean, just that is a big shift from 2020 that we're, because we know from our research that one of the things that people who don't vote very often really like to do is be able to prep. They want to know what that ballot's going to look like. They want to know what's going to happen when they get there because they don't want to look foolish, right? And they don't want to be that person who holds up the line. And they want to, you know, make sure that they've asked all their questions and they're ready to vote. And just being able to see those ballots in advance makes a big difference to voters. And the designs have gotten better. I mean, I think that the voting systems have slowly gotten better and they can do more. When NIST, National Institute of Standards and Technology, did some uh, a research project on instructions on ballots, uh, Dr. Ginny Reddish and my co-founder Dana Chisnell did this research. They couldn't figure out how to make any of the existing voting systems put the instructions on a ballot the way they wanted them, right? And they had to build a little prototype to make it happen. But slowly that work that became the best practices guides at the AC, um, the ballot design work that the AIGA, the Graphics Association did on ballot design, that became part of the AEC best practices as well. Slowly ballots are starting to be able to do that. We're seeing more ballots that, you know, some that look pretty darn good, some that are competent, a few that are still, I wish we could clean them up a little bit. But we're not seeing things that look like they were printed on a mimeograph machine anymore. I don't know that this is a question, but one thing that always worries me, you know, we're in the process of building the ballot program in the election and we get down to it and, you know, a court orders something on the ballot or orders something off the ballot. And we've taken the time initially to try to make everything as good as we can get it. But then it's that last minute thing because we got to get the UOCAVA ballots out. And we're like, ah, if we just, you know, go down to eight point font, then it fits all on one piece of paper. And, you know, let's just do it and get it out. And I'm worried that something that we're not looking at because we're under that time crunch is going to come back and bite us later. It's the thing that terrifies me too <laughs> on pretty much everything I do. Gosh, I forget what year it was, but before 2008-ish, we were out on, we were doing a talk at a, it was an Iowa, but at a, at a state election conference. And we were talking about ballot design and errors and all this stuff. And we said, well, what could help you? What would be the thing that would help you as election officials do this better? And someone raised their hand and they said, you could give us just a little bit more time between when the election, when the list of candidates is done and when we have to send out those UACAPA ballots. There's just, there's almost no time there. And when the problems are all small, 
and they get magnified. They're much harder to find. And I think that's true. I do think that one of the solutions is to have gamed it out a little bit, right? To be able to have a statewide template or a, a countywide template where you go, this is this is how we're going to do it and have thought in advance of the, about the decisions. You probably have a signature guide that says, or you know, write-in guide that says, how do I know if I can count this right in? The same sort of like, what do I do if questions and all of that planning. I think a lot like a lot of other fields, elections is 98% planning and then 2% running the election, right? So thinking about what do you do whens because those things happen people get knocked off the ballot what do you do you know can't leave a gap what do you do with that all of a sudden a new measure makes it onto the ballot now the ballot's two pages and that's never that's never great for anyone there aren't great answers for those and i think that's one of the things that made me has made me stick around because if it was just a real simple here's a formula let's just do it we'd have done the field guides and we'd be done right but it is all about being resilient to the things that are going to happen knowing that maybe you can't change the ballot but you can change the instructions or you can do a little extra voter outreach or you can enlist the you know local news media in, into publicizing publicizing the problem in pennsylvania this year right the naked ballots when i first heard that i just thought oh, it's trivializing it it's terrible but i realized that it was actually a gift because i saw meme after meme after meme on social media you don't have to be dressed when you vote, but your ballot has to, you know, that those sorts of things. And people paid attention. And so we did not have the huge number of people having their ballots disqualified that might have happened without this outpouring of communication around the election. And I think that's actually why some things went right this year and why we had fewer spoiled ballots than everybody feared we were going to have with this big uptick in, in, in voting by mail is that there was so much information out there coming at people from all directions on the details of elections, most of it was mostly true. I think the, the hard part of that was battling the both misinformation and the not quite accurate information from well-intentioned people. The design part, kind of like Eric said, for ballots and things like that can often be kind of limiting because it's not always within our control when we're gonna find things out. But instructions, like you said, are, are really important because they are within our control. But I think it's really hard as elections administrators to get out of our own heads and think about if I'm seeing this for the first time as a first time voter, how is it going to read to me? And the center has done fantastic guides and things like that. But can you give one or two tips to elections administrators on ways to get out of your own mindset or to enlist others in an election office, especially a county election office, has access to the public? We've done a lot of testing with election offices by just setting up a table in the front hall of the county building. I spent a lot of time in Nor Norwalk, California, because that's the, that's the Los Angeles County Government Service Center, and there's lines there. And so, you know, we just walk the lines and say, you know, would you would you mind spending a few minutes with us? It's best when you can have a table right there and just you're asking them to do something that takes maybe five or 10 minutes. Sometimes we pay people, but often we just have a you know a box of kudo bars on the table and offer them a, a snack bar or something. And especially if you've got a family that's come to help one person like get their driver's license, often you can peel one person off and get them to talk to you. Or you could think of a very short question like, would you just read these instructions and mark this ballot or read these instructions and tell me back what you're supposed to do? So when we say usability testing, it makes it sound hard, but it's actually not. And if you go to electiontools.org, there's actually some guides for how to do it. And we started calling it test drives, right? How can you just test drive um, something you wrote? And one way to do it is just to actually read it really literally 
and say, okay, what does this actually say? Or maybe get whoever's the newest in your office or, you know, see who's downstairs in the mailroom or in some other office who, that, that isn't elections because there might be someone new in the treasurer's office. They've just turned 18 and they've come to work and, and they are a new voter. So you have more access to people than you think. I don't know, there's a famous picture from Santa Cruz of are doing a usability session with Santa Claus because we were in a mall. It was that time of year. Um, and he finally wandered over and said, what are you guys doing? We said, well, we'll tell you all about it if you'll do it. Another big effort of yours has been on the design of mail ballot envelopes, I know. Boy, what a more timely thing than mail ballot design, mail ballot envelope design than 2020. Did you all have a lot of interest? Were people contacting you last year saying, oh my God, all of a sudden I have all these mail ballots. Will, will you tell me how to design my envelope? That kind of thing. Yeah, we did. We ended up working with uh, six states. So it started in California. As I said, we've done a lot of work there. And they were implementing the Voters' Choice Act for the first time uh, in 2016-17. Uh, and they wanted a uh, to work towards a standardized template in the state because they wanted to be able to do voter education statewide. Um, and so this was the beginning of the idea of solving, how do we say this envelope is for you and this envelope goes back to the election office? Um, they wanted something that would work with postal. This was that first year when we were seeing envelopes get bounced back to the voter when they should have gone to the election office. So we did this project and it, we put a workbook out. We did some things. It was kind of fun. We, we borrowed um, ideas from all over the country um, that worked. So put it together. And yeah, this year we were beginning to sort of, we'd work with Michigan. They, as they went to no excuse absentee, we'd work with them on a statewide ballot that everybody but Detroit used because they still had a warehouse full of paper to use up. We had been working with Virginia and I said, hey, just design the envelopes, you know, put them in your toolkit uh, because a couple of the counties had come to us and said, we'd like to, we'd like to look at that. And that was really successful. I think we're going to make that into a statewide standard next year. Then this thing happened, which is that someone came to us and one of our funders said, look, it's great that you can work state by state, but how can you ramp this up? And so we started putting out, um, we took all the materials we had and put them together on a page. So we made sure there were samples of everything that anybody could get. So we know that um, election officials use them, but we don't even know they use them, which is great. Uh, but they said, really, how can you show people what it is? Now, it's a little late in the season by then because we're already into June, July, right? But um, we said, well, we could just look up the election code and we could just take our template and try to design it. And we did, and we did 20 states. Pennsylvania was already in progress, so that was great. Uh, Virginia, Ohio was busy working on theirs because they're doing a whole branding exercise in their Secretary of State's office so that everything will have the same colors, we'll use the same fonts. Not that it's going to be so highly branded that it looks, I don't know, overly, overly commercial, but that there's just a sense that all this material comes from the same place. So we worked with them. We've been working with North Carolina, who was in between, is it two witnesses, one witness, two witnesses, one witness, two witnesses, you know, and when there'd been a little back and forth there. And so everything was going to have to be updated because the laws were being updated. And at the last minute, we, we got a copy out to New York, which I had just did not think there was any chance they would really do anything. It's a very decentralized state. And New York City has five languages in Queens. And so there are all these, you know, just, it just didn't seem like a place that was going to happen. But they, but they said, yeah, let's talk about it. Let's put out a, a template and see who would like to use it. And in the middle of that process, the governor issued an executive order that mandated a statewide ballot design. This was in like August. I mean, we were scrambling really hard and fast. 
they work together. We sort of got to a point, they work together. We dropped the color bar because there was a lot of concern about the cost of printing. So we just said, it's gonna be a lowest common denominator that everybody can agree on. And it worked. I mean, not only did they get them out, it helped that there's only, uh, there's two big vendors in the state. So there weren't quite as many different vendors to deal with. But in the primary, I'm gonna give you some numbers. I'm gonna tell you in advance that New York, New York counts rejected ballots they, they put a lot of things into that number so they put things like we issued a ballot to take it to a nursing home and the person wasn't there when we got there and that has to be spoiled those count in the rejects so the volume number is going to sound really big but in the primary new york city had 24 percent rejects on absentee ballots that's a shockingly high number and in the general election uh, on november 9th the new york city board of election tweeted that they had 4% potentially rejected ballots, but they hadn't been through the cure process yet. And 1.6% of those, another, you know, 1.6% of that 4% were ballots that were eligible to be cured. So that's a huge difference. Now, I don't think it's just the ballot design or the envelope design, but I think it helped because we, we worked really hard with them. How do you make the signature box stand out among the wall of words that five languages means if you're trying to cram it onto one envelope? And New York City is not parsimonious with the words that are required on the envelope. Um, Michigan had the same thing. They, they dropped from in 2016 from 0.49% signature missing or couldn't be matched to 0.06%. So it, it does make a difference. Um, it's not the only thing that makes a difference. The voter ed around it helps a lot. Cure laws help a lot. But I think that uh, having something that looks like it's meant to be used by a voter, that, that's meant to be signed, and it's not just that we sort of put all the stuff we have to slam on the envelope, does communicate. You know, all of the all the things we send to voters are kind of a communication from the election office to the voter, sort of carried in a in a paper form. And when we've spent time and energy kind of thinking about them and thinking through what voters might misunderstand and trying to fix those things, I think that effort shows up. And what's nice about elections is you do it again next year. So it shows up cumulatively, right? You don't have to do it all in one thing. You can make incremental changes and continue to build on them. Actually, we did absentee ballots in 2008 before the center was even founded after the election in the senatorial election in Minnesota that went on till June. It was all about whether you could even open those ballots. We did a lovely project with them. We had volunteers from around the world. We had people from Minnesota who volunteered to do usability testing with the Secretary of State's office. And I think it was a good design. But what I loved about what happened afterwards is that every two years after a statewide election, they look at the reasons why ballots couldn't be counted that came back in the mail. And they work on what, what's the one thing they could do that they think would fix the most of them. And they, so they made it into a process of, sort of continuous improvement and continually using the data to try to understand what's happening to make things better. So I think we talked about it this whole time, but can you give a little background on the Center for Civic Design and really what the mission is and how local election authorities can work with you so we got into this trying to make the election experience easier. And, you know, we were young and arrogant at the time and thought this would be an easy an easy fix. Um, but what we realized, we realized two things were really important. One was that all the things we were fussing about were coming from an election office. And so we started meeting election officials and we started trying to figure out what the, what the challenges were, what the constraints were, right? 
and one of the things that we learned is a lot of it is just time and a lot of it is you weren't hired to be graphic designers right you were hired to be to run an election uh, so we started thinking about how we could create materials that would help election officials serve voters better because i you know i don't meet i meet a lot of election officials and i've never met one that says well my you know my goal is to make it harder to vote right it's always how do i make the election run better the other thing we do a little bit of is think about um, state laws and, and regulations, because sometimes the things that are causing, say, a ballot envelope to be very crowded is because the oath required on it is very wordy, or because um, just the instructions are written in a long, complicated way, and think, and often that's written into the law. And so every once in a while, someone comes to us and says, "Can you help us fix that?" And so we'll say, "Yes, absolutely. Uh, we'll design it with you." We'll do a little usability testing, make sure we haven't made any terrible mistakes and say, instead of doing this by doing it as legal markup, by sort of getting in a room and talking about the words, let's look at the words. Let's look at what they look like on a normal letter size envelope and think about whether we've got something that, that we can put onto an envelope or we can put onto a piece of, uh, into an instruction or we can put into an insert in a way that actually helps voters. So we're, we're always starting from what we want it to be and then working backwards to the law. We've been lucky to get some grant funding, so we're able to, to help help people out on lots of things. We are happy to do some little one-off coachings. I just worked on this. Can you give me some hints about it? Um, we're also always in love with coming in and being able to say either our whole associate state association is, is interested in working on something together or the state office is working on something. A lot of what we did in Virginia was run a usability team that was made up of county and municipal election officials trying to agree on what some of the forms should look like um, and helping them sort of not only helping them with the design, but helping them with some procedures and how some of the things like usability testing can answer those questions that you just get stuck in in the committee where you just can't get to an answer because you don't know how to answer it, but data helps and seeing voters struggle with something helps. Um, we do we do research. We try to do research um, with everything we do so that if we're asked, for instance, to help write a cure form, we want to write it. We want to help do that well, but we want to understand what makes it work so that we can then extract some principles out of that. And then we can begin to say, here's a theory about how to write a notice or a letter that says something's wrong. And of course, what applies to cure forms applies to hmm, a voter registration form that comes in without a date of birth on it or without uh, some a piece of information is missing. And that same like, first of all, you send an official letter and people like, I, you know, there are people freeze up, right? And how do we calm them down, say it's okay, there's a way to fix it, here's what you have to do and end with, here's the action you need to take, right? But make it something where, where we're kind of inviting them on a little mini journey that's going to end up with them fixing the problem. Um, so we love, we, we love taking every project we do and trying to see how we can extrapolate that into, into a, a sample or a template or a set of principles that will help everybody, anybody do better work. So we made it through 2020. What are the big initiatives for your organization moving forward? Okay, we're still working on, a, on a ballot envelopes. Um, there were a, a bunch of organizations of states, counties that said, we would love to do this, not this year. Um, and so we're, we're going to go back to them. Uh, we're interested in anybody else that would like to do it. We're kind of fascinated by Missouri, which has a really complicated set of laws. We think that's sort of the Matterhorn challenge. You know, can you get to the top of that one? 
we're working with New York City right now on introducing ranked choice voting. And again, that's something we had done work on in the past. And we're kind of interested because all of a sudden we're starting to hear Maine went to ranked choice voting. We're starting to hear more cities interested in it. Um, there's some other approval voting, some other methods. And there's a lot of mechanical issues about it. But what we're really interested in is what the voters think they're doing, right? What does an average, you know, everyday voter who's, you know, they show up, they vote, how can we help them use whatever new tools for voting we're giving them in a way that that makes them more confident that this is being heard so we think it's uh forms and and theories of voting <laughs> we're still working with nist on the voting system standards so the 10th was a big day for us but there's there's always more work and we're still thinking a lot about accessible voting and how to make vote by mail accessible um, and how to make to continue to push voting system vendors to make their their accessible voting machines better for everyone to use. Now that you mentioned that, you know, vendors, voting systems and so forth, anything from your perspective, very promising coming out of the new VVSG that was just approved? I work on the human factors, the usability and accessibility sections. We're really excited. I, I was actually pretty excited about the idea that it's now organized around principles for good, good elections rather than around technology. Uh, Cause it, it means that, I mean, it's a, it's still a pretty darn big, book full of requirements but there's now a connection between this micro requirement and why it's going to help elections and that came from the election officials on the committee so I, kudos to them for, for for that we've done some refining of things like tech sizes and i think one of the things that's in that you could use that for is sure it applies to a voting system but everything we've written in the in, in principle seven about sort of the perception and, and use of, of materials things like contrast and text size, those can apply to everything you do, right? Because we we now got four ranges of text sizes going from sort of a little too small to right to, to big enough. We've added back in uh, more ways to interact with the ballot. So uh, allowing some gestures, because that's that's coming along. And a lot of people learn how to use a computer by learning their smartphone. And that, that's a lot of gestures on that, like scrolling. We required a, a review screen this time. And we, we did it really just to, to shore up what the current status of, you know, there, there are no electronic ballot marking interfaces that don't have a review screen. So we wanted to get that into the requirements. Yeah, we, we, we continued to think about what it means to be accessible. So um, expanding that to, it's not just about marking the ballot, it's about, you know, activating marking and verifying your ballot and getting it cast. So it's that whole, that whole experience from beginning to end. So lots of times in Missouri, election authorities are not actually the ones designing the ballots. It's the vendor of the voting equipment that's designing the ballots. Have you worked with them particularly on these? Yes and no. I mean, I, I think the idea that there's one design for a ballot that is going to last for the life of a, a, piece of a piece of voting system equipment just seems a little crazy. And not to be able to do things like tweak, tweak the text size. I do wish that that they, that they incorporated best practices a little bit better. And others that they warned people when they were going off the rails. Um, you, you Sometimes you have to, like you said, sometimes that eight, that going taking that thought down half a point is what's gonna keep the ballot on one sheet of paper. But don't do it without telling me I'm gonna do it. Like give me that warning uh, that it's gonna happen. And there's just no reason in printing technology today why we can't do things, why we can't use illustrations in the instructions, for example we know people don't read instructions. I mean, some people do. Some people read them very, very carefully. They better be right. But a lot of people think that, you know, they've like, I've wrote it before. I know what it is. 
and also people who don't read very well or don't read English very well, those instructions help, right? Because they're, they're things, and there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to put illustrations. There's no reason why we shouldn't be able to not have things centered. Um, so I guess for me, that would be an RFP question, would be how, how well does your system allow us to do that? And if I think if, that when someone who's trying to sell something starts hearing from their customers, that, that this is an important part of what, what you're looking for, then that goes into their thinking. And just the one thing I would say is that if anybody does not have a set of the field guides, um, we would love to send them to you. And if you go to civicdesign.org or to hello at civicdesign.org, we'd be happy to send them to you. All right, thanks everybody for tuning in to another episode of High Turnout, Wide Margins. Big thanks to Whitney Quesenberry from the Center for Civic Design. We hope everybody will tune in next time for another great episode of High Turnout, Wide Margins.